Hey, good morning, Victory Church. How you doing? Come on, let me hear you. Welcome, welcome. My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church. And if you are visiting with us on behalf of us, welcome. So glad that you're here. As Brian and Zoe said, do us a favor and get connected with us so that we can help you take those next steps. One quick announcement before we get into the service. In front of you is a QR code on your chair. If at the end of the service you'd like to take your next step, maybe give your heart to Jesus, you'd like to sign up to be baptized, join a small group, whatever it might be, if you'll scan that QR code, it'll send you a form you can fill out, and then we'll reach out to you and do our best at helping you take that next step. Today, we start our highly anticipated series at the movies. All right, you guys are here. We got four weeks in total. I'll preach through movie clips. It's going to be a great day. Uh, what we do, in case you've never been here for this, is we take some of today's greatest theatrical hits, uh, box smashes or box hits, whatever you call those things. I can't even, box office hits. That's what I was looking for. Um, and then we bring out biblical principles that can really encourage us from them. And so do me a favor, go ahead and open your popcorn, pop your Cokes if you haven't, so you won't do it during the message. And let's watch the trailer of what we're looking at today. This is one of my favorite movies, uh, certainly recently, but I think it's moved up on kind of my top five movies of all time list. Uh, if you've seen, this, this is a sequel, in case you weren't uh, aware of that. The original Top Gun came out, I believe, in the 80s. And the idea with the original Top Gun is Maverick, Tom Cruise, uh, at one point in the movie, his, his co-pilot or his best friend, both, dies tragically. And all throughout that movie, he wrestles with it. But then when you get into the sequel, Top Gun Maverick, he's still wrestling with it. And it's interesting because no matter how hard he tries to forget, forgive and forget or forgive himself, he can't do. He continues to wrestle on the inside. Um, it's even moved on to a point to where it's starting to kind of shape his identity and who he is to where he lives recklessly. And you see this, this internal fight all throughout the movie. And, and throughout the movie, you watch him as he pursues forgiveness and then eventually is able to embrace it and experience. And, it, and that's why I really wanted to talk through this movie today is because I feel like sometimes there are some of us that struggle, even though we're forgiven by Jesus Christ, we have a hard time accepting that forgiveness. In fact, according to LifeWay Research, in a country where majority of people confess faith in Jesus, watch this, only 27% of those people say they depend on Jesus to overcome their sin. So, so 73% of the people who confess to have faith in Christ look to another area, another way, another, another place, another person, another process to make things right between them and God. Isn't that interesting? Some people might, uh, might try to do it through good behavior. You know, it's this idea of things aren't right between me and God. I made some mistakes, and so from this point forward, I'm going to act right. From this point forward, I'm going to have good behavior. And as a result of that good behavior, then I'll be reconciled with God, which we all know is impossible. Another way that people do it is through good, good actions or good works that maybe if, if I do good things and if I'm nice to people, if I help the lady cross the street or, or I allow the person to merge in front of me on the interstate, if I do good things, then all of a sudden I can be reconciled with God, which we know is also not true. Some people do it through generosity. If I can give to nonprofits and good organizations or least of these, then maybe through my generosity of helping other people less than me, maybe that will help me be right with God. And then some people don't do any of those. And their goal is really just to find somebody who is worse than them, somebody who has a, a worse past or a worse record than they do, and kind of use that comparison aspect to say, well, I'm not as bad as them, so therefore I must be right 
with God. Many of us understand intellectually what it means to be forgiven. Like, like we can do the math, two plus two equals four. We understand in here what it means to be forgiven. We know in here that Christ's death atones for our sins. We've heard it our entire life growing up that because of Jesus, we're forgiven. We know it in here, but we haven't been able to take it from here to here. And so therefore, we're unable to find that feeling of reconciliation with God. While we've been forgiven, while we're told we've been forgiven, we haven't really been able to grasp that forgiveness and see and feel real reconciliation with God. Watch this. You know, the movie does such a great job of illustrating this inner turmoil that he's going through. Now he's in the life of the son of his friend that died, and his life is in his hands, and he's got all of this regret, and as much as he wants to forgive and forget, it's clear that he can't get past the guilt. He can't get past the fact that this is a part of his life, that it was his past, and as much as he wants to feel forgiven, he doesn't feel forgiven. You know, everyone that is forgiven by God, listen to me, carries the memories of an awful, shameful sin. Every person in this room that has been forgiven by God has a past pre-Jesus. Newsflash, you're going to make mistakes after you've already chosen to follow Jesus. We're going to have sins past, present, and future. We all have it because we were all born into sin and then we're living in a world of sin. But the interesting thing is our enemy fights. He fights, y'all, hard to have you and I remember anything that would make us question that God loves us. His goal is to constantly put back in your face mistakes, failures, whether past, present, or future, whatever he can do to drive a wedge in between you and God and whatever he can do to push the narrative that God doesn't love you. This is why the Bible refers to him as the accuser. Because he's going to constantly try to accuse you and to make accusations and to remind you of who you were pre-Jesus. To remind you of the old you and make you get away from the new you. To remind you of who you were before you were saved, before you were sanctified, before you were redeemed, before you were healed. And get you focused on old you because then it might influence you to start to think that God doesn't love you. Because he knows that if he can keep that on your mind, watch this. Often what happens is when we're reminded of our past, reminded of our sins, reminded of our shortcomings, reminding of our failures, instead of us running to Jesus and experiencing his grace and mercy, it'll actually cause us to distance ourselves from God. And it's important that in our Christian walk that you and I cling to scripture's teachings on forgiveness. It's important that we read them and that we memorize them and that we put them on our heart so that when there are moments where we start to be reminded of our past mistakes or our current mistakes, we will remember what the Bible tells us about the forgiveness of God. What makes us perfect is not what we do. It's what God has already done. Amen? His infinite perfection, God's infinite, infinite perfection cannot be stained by our imperfections. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to the church in Rome, and in Romans chapter 3, we're going to read verses 22 through 24, he says something that for a lot of us we may have heard before, and we've heard it so much that we just kind of allow it to kind of go in our ear and out the other ear, but watch what he says. He says, we are made right with God. We started off this message by saying that a lot of us feel like that we, no matter what we do, we, we can't 
feel like we've been made right with God. And here's Paul saying, we have been made right with God. Well, how? Because of our good works or because we're good behavior or because we're generous? How, Paul, how have we sinners been made right with God? By placing our faith in Jesus Christ. By believing that Jesus Christ died for our sins, that believing because he resurrected from the grave, that by faith alone we are saved, right? He goes on to say, this is true for everyone who believes. This was important because Paul's talking to two different crowds. He's got the religious crowd that believes that they have done such good behavior that they're going to be right with God. And then you've got the other crowd that have been told their entire life that no matter what they do, they won't be right with God. So he steps in and says, this is for everyone who believes. Everyone. Doesn't matter gender. Doesn't matter color. Doesn't matter financial situation. Doesn't matter who your family was. This is for everyone who believes. Watch this. No matter who we are. No matter who we are. He goes on to say, for everyone has sinned. This is the Bible talking, for everyone has sinned. Everybody in this room, we have one thing in common. You ready? No matter who you are, we have one thing in common. We have sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standards. You say, man, that's, that's really depressing. Like, that's, that's bad news. But then Paul comes right behind it with the yet or the but. God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. That's why the gospel is referred to as the good news. That it's not by my works, but it's by Jesus Christ's sacrifice that makes me right with God. Listen, sin is real. And so is our guilt before God. It's not God caused, but it's just natural in us that we know we've sinned and it makes us feel guilty before God. But listen, one of the worst things that you and I can do in regards to our sin and the guilt of our sin, one of the worst things we can do is deny it. One of the worst things we can do is pretend like it didn't happen. One of the worst things we can do is turn a blind eye to it or to walk the other way and pretend like we didn't sin or like we aren't of a sin nature. Because when we deny it, here's what that looks like. We deny it by turning our back on God's forgiveness. His offer to forgive us. His offer to make our wrong right. His offer to make our red white. Our offer, we turn our back on it and we're doubting God's promise that we are forgiven. If you have a small child or at one point you had a small child, you, you know what it's like to be in a, a, a conversation with your kid over something they did wrong and they know they did it and you know they did it, Right? But they don't want to admit it. And so when you ask them about it, they're like, no, no, I didn't, I didn't do it, right? They're shaking their But you know they did it, and they know they did it. It's obvious. There was nobody else to do it. But they will die with the lie. They're going to die with the lie. One time I went to Publix, and I bought this package of brownies. It was like eight brownies or something like that. And we came home the day I bought them. We came home, put them on the counter, and then me, Casey Ray, and my wife, we had to go somewhere. And so my oldest was at home by herself. And we were gone for the lengthy part of the day. And we came home, and when we came home, there was one brownie left. Not eaten, left. That means by math, seven brownies were eaten in the matter of a few hours, okay? So we called Vader down, or I did because I recognized it because I went to go eat a brownie, obviously. And so called her down. 
And I was like, hey, did you, you know, I asked it almost uh, knowing I knew the answer. You know, it's hypothetical. Like, I'm just, I'm just asking this question. It's redundant. It's like, hey, um, did you eat, did you eat the brownies? And she's like, no. <laughs> See, you didn't eat, you didn't eat any brownies? Maybe, maybe one. Oh, you had one brownie? Was it this big when you ate it? <laughs> I'm just wondering. And she's like, I didn't eat it. I'm like, you were the only one here. You know what I mean? Like, what are we doing? Why are we wasting time? Why are you denying it? You know you ate it. I know you ate it. Did somebody break in our house, sneak in the kitchen, eat seven of the eight brownies, leave one for you out of the grace of Jesus, and then walk back out the door and lock it? Like, help me here, you know? And I think this is sometimes how we are with God. He knows we did it, right? We were the only person there. You know? He knows we did it. We know we did it. But we, we just want to, mm-mm, uh-uh, I didn't do it. And there's a sense where we want to deny it. But listen, part of receiving God's forgiveness is acknowledging the sins, right? Part of the step into God forgiving us for those sins is the ability and the humility to admit, to acknowledge that we are a sinner to begin with. That we did those sins to begin with. And in order, and we do that, God makes us whole before we can move forward into our future. Before you can embrace all that God has for you, he wants to make you whole. And he makes you whole by the fact that we acknowledge the sins of our life. And when we acknowledge them, God can forgive us. Amen? Watch this. You know, he goes to his mentor and he's looking for an avenue, a different direction, a different plan, some kind of way to alleviate this guilt. And his mentor says, you got to let it go. You just got to simply, you just got to let it go. And I love that part where he says, I don't know how. And I think this is so true for a lot of us is there's this aspect of sin in our lives where whether we're trying to let go of the sin or whether we're trying to let go of the, the guilt of past sin you know, people will simply tell us a lot of times, we'll just let it go. Like, I, I don't know how. You know, I, I think we have a natural desire to pay for our own sins. You know, we're wise enough to know that anytime there is something done wrong, that it deserves some kind of punishment. That, that any, any moment where something's done wrong, it deserves some type of consequence, some type of punishment. And so because of that, when we do wrong, we do one of two things. We either, we either enjoy the idea of being punished or we punish ourselves. You ever been there where you start to almost punish yourself because of something that happened in your past? And even though you've read scripture and you understand that God forgave you for it because you did it, either, there's something where you still don't feel that reconciliation. You still don't feel like things are right with God. So now you go on to punish yourself. There's people in here, you've been dealing with something for years. And people would tell you to let it go, but you can't let it go because in some weird way, it's the way you justify. It's the way you think that if you continue to suffer with it, it'll make you right with God. Where scripture is telling you, let it go. Give it to God. He'll set you free. He'll forgive you. He'll help you. You don't have to continue to punish yourself. Watch this. Our feelings of guilt, our feelings of rejection somehow become this penance for our sin to win back God's favor. We think if we punish ourselves enough, then God will all of a sudden have some type of mercy on us. And then now we'll be made right with God because we've punished ourselves. 
Let's stop trying to find an alternative to battle our sin. The only way to conquer sin and to experience freedom is to depend on Jesus. The book of Acts, I love what it says in chapter 3, verse 19. You need to really get it in your spirit. He, uh, the author starts off with repent. Repent is an action of you saying, God, I'm sorry. It's asking for the forgiveness of God. I messed up. I made a mistake. I sinned. I did something that was out of the will of God. I didn't mean to. I repent. I'm sorry. But watch this. After you say, I'm sorry, the Bible says then, turn to God. Repent. Why? What are you turning to God for? I'm turning to God so that he will wipe out my sins. Do you see this? Once I repent, I don't have to then go and perform. It's not I'm going to repent and then punish myself for my sins. It's not I'm going to repent and then I'm going to go work out my salvation. I'm going to find works for my salvation. He says, repent and then turn to God and God wipes out your sins. God forgives you. They're far as the east is from the west. Well, then what, Troy? Then do, am, I, am I just kind of walking in this sense of condemnation and shame? What? No, according to the author of Acts, watch this. Then you'll have times of refreshing that will come to, to you from the Lord. That when we ask God for forgiveness, when we repent and we really receive God's forgiveness, when we stop trying to punish ourselves or fix it ourselves, then, like the enemy tells us, shame or condemnation. No, that's not Romans 8.1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But instead, refreshing comes. Refreshing. Listen to me. It is true that our sins deserve terrible punishment. That is true. But it's also true that Christ already endured that. It's true that that price needs to be paid, but it's also true that Christ already paid that price. It is not true that you and I must add our own punishment onto Christ. You don't add value to the crucifixion. Personal pain adds no atoning value to Christ's sacrifice. Look, when we feel like we have to continue to punish ourselves for our past sins, we're saying that crucifixion wasn't enough. We're saying that the cross wasn't enough. By you continuing to punish yourself, by you continuing to walk around and be ashamed, by you continuing to find ways to torture yourself, you add no value. You don't make yourself any more forgiven or any more saved because we're saved and forgiven by the works of Jesus Christ, by what Christ already did, what he already did. And when we tend to think that we have to add value to it, when we keep torturing ourselves and punishing ourselves and... There's some of us in here that we've yet to allow God to move us forward in our life. We don't believe that God has a purpose for our life or that God has a calling on our life or that we have no value. We don't see value of ourselves in relationships. We don't see value in ourselves in our families. We still struggle with the fact because of our past. So we just keep continuing to punish ourselves. You're not worthy. Nobody loves you. You'll never be anything. And something sick in our mind thinks that because we're doing that, we're justifying and somehow paying the consequences of our mistakes. And Jesus says, I already did that. I already paid that price. When Jesus climbed on the cross and died for our sins, he didn't leave change. It's not like, well, he paid for everything but 13 cents. Look, he paid for all of it. And so by you continuing to run yourself ragged, and torture yourself and punish yourself, 
It's not helping you. I love that thought. It's not helping you be even, it's not helping you be more forgiven. You are as forgiven as you could ever be by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. A few months ago, or weeks ago, I don't remember the time frame, Amber and Andrew, a couple of our directors, came to me, and they wanted to announce that Amber was pregnant with their third child, and they wanted to tell the other directors, and we're a really tight group, so they wanted to do something really special and make it kind of a, a big deal, as opposed to just saying, hey, you know, expecting the third child. So they come to me with this idea that after our big huddle on a Sunday morning, we're going to pull the directors together. I'm going to make up some excuse that I need a group photo of everybody, and I'll have the phone, like I'm going to take a picture, but I will have hit record like a video. And once everybody gets ready, I'll go, all right, everybody ready? And instead of saying like, say cheese, I'll go, everybody say Amber's pregnant. And then as, you know, they'll start to go like, Amber, wait, what? Like it'd be like an epic moment. And so we get through the whole process and, every, you know, we, we get the dream team leaves. We get the directors together and we get ready to go through the whole process and I'm recording. And I go, all right, everybody, they're all, they're all bundled up real tight. And I said, all right, everybody say Amber's pregnant. And you can see it like as they go to say it, they're like, what? You know, and everybody starts looking at each other and it's like they're freaking out and their faces are crazy. And I'm walking around videoing because people are hugging and laughing and crying. And it's just this sweet, sweet moment. And once I feel like I've got enough footage, I, I go to hand the phone back to Andrew and I hit the record button to make it stop recording. And when I hit the record button, it starts recording. <laughs> Ooh, you had one job. I had a lot of jobs that day. <laughs> I never felt so mortified. You know, because when somebody you love asks you to do something, you, you just, you want to do it. Like, it's like, I, I wanted to do the best for them. And, and I mean, like, it's like, what are you going to do? Be like, all right, everybody get back together. Let's pretend that was all, it wasn't even true. That was a lie. It was a joke. You know, like, you, you can't do anything about that. But I, I couldn't, I, I gave him back the phone. And I'm, I'm expressing it. You, you met that moment, I'm watching Amber laugh and smile and cry. That moment, because Andrew's kind of like, it's cool, man. But like, I'm looking at Amber going like, oh gosh. Like, can we just not tell her? Like, maybe Andrew accidentally deleted it or something like that, you know? And so, you know, I tell her and she's like, oh, that's fine. And so, you know, we come in here, I preach both services, you know, go to lunch, I go home. And I mean, two, three, four o'clock in the afternoon, I'm still feeling it. And so I finally, I had to send him a text. I was like, guys, I'm so, so sorry. Like, I'm just, I'm just, I'm more, I'm so sorry. And they both just sent back such loving and gracious texts. Hey, it's cool. It worked out great. That was actually what we really, we didn't even want a video. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just realized that like sitting there all day beating myself up didn't change anything. You know what I mean? Like punishing myself didn't all of a sudden give them a video. And I realized that I spent that entire day stressed about it. And people who love me had already forgotten about it. And if we're not careful, we will spend our life punishing ourselves for past mistakes and past failures. And the one who loves you has already forgotten about it. He's already moved on because Christ paid for that. And he's saying, hey, that's good. That's forgiven. Let's keep going. Let's keep moving. I got bigger and better things. We have to get to a place where we, hit, we quit trying to punish ourselves for our sins. And we fall at our feet and we are repentant and, and we are thankful and we worship God for the fact that he paid for those sins. Amen? Amen. Our forgiveness, your forgiveness came at a very high cost. Your sins, my sins, did deserve a high price, a high price of punishment. But guess what? The Lord paid that 
price. And the cost that he paid, the price that he paid, is more than sufficient enough to pay for anything you have done. I'm going to say it again. The price that Christ paid on the cross is more than sufficient for anything that you have or ever will do. Watch this. You know, you have this moment, and you can see it in Maverick's whole expression that no matter how hard he's tried, he's failed. You know, you even get that moment where he says out loud, I'm sorry, Goose. I tried to fix all this on my own. I tried to figure it out. I tried to do whatever I could to get to forgive myself and move ahead and fix everything, but I, I failed. You ever felt like that? I did all I could to forgive it. I did all I could to forget it. I did all I could to move forward, to fix it, and, and once again, I've, I failed. Here I am. And he even in a moment kind of has that acceptance, like, well, this is how the story ends. And then, shoo, boom, love it. But the part that really got me was when the guy pulls up and says, this is your Savior speaking. Because I just started thinking about us and arriving at a point in life where you've tried all you can to fix it and you're still failing. You've tried all you can to forgive it and forget it and to move on and you're still failing and you've almost come to that point of acceptance of like, well, I guess this is just how the story ends. And I would tell you that the Spirit of God would say, boom, watch, watch this, Ephesians chapter 1, watch this. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself, by reconciling us to him. How? Through my works? Through Jesus Christ. I love this. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Somebody told you at some point in your life that God's mad at you and fed up with you and tired of all your mistakes and tired of all your failures, and the Spirit of God says he is, it gives him great pleasure. How are you, God? I'm good. I'm very good. I'm here to save you again because it's what I do. So we praise God for the glorious grace he poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Watch this. For he is so rich in kindness and he's so rich in grace that he purchases our freedom with the blood of his son. And here it is. You ready? And forgave our sins. Do you notice that the word forgave is past tense? That means that in that one action, he's forgiving every past, present, and future sin. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, do me a favor, everybody stand in this place. I want to challenge you this morning, if you're in here and you've never given your heart to Jesus, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, the Bible says you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth and you'll be saved. You believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins. You say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I believe you died for my sins and 
The Bible says you're saved. That QR code is so that we can follow up with you and walk it out with you because it's deeper than that. There's more heart to that, but sometimes you need somebody to walk it out with you. But if you're here today and you've never given your heart to Jesus, make that today. Make that today. I, I remember the first time I ever gave my heart to Jesus. I remember the time I gave my heart to Jesus and this gentleman was singing a song called When God Ran and it just gave me the picture of the prodigal similar to this song, Run to the Father. And it gave me this picture that despite my mistakes and my sins, the Father's running to me. He's not mad at me or upset with me. He's, he's running to me. For every other person, you're saved, but you're trying to move forward. You're trying to be able to be, be forgiven and feel forgiven and believe that God's got a calling and a purpose in your life. I'm telling you today, let it go. Let it go. I want to share a real quick story and then we'll pray and close. This is one of my favorite stories about the grace of God. It's a true story about a young lady who was adopted into a family. and That family she was adopted into, she had been in previous homes before and those homes were not good. And This new family where they're planning a trip to Disney World and the adopted young lady let her adopted parents know that her past family used to go to Disney World all the time, but when they would go to Disney World, they called a family vacation and they wouldn't take her. They would just take their immediate kids. And so she had the assumption that she wasn't going to be able to go to Disney World either. And her new adopted family said, no, we're going as a family and you're part of this family. So as they're leading up to the trip, it's the night before the trip, and the young lady has her worst blowout, her worst episode. And a lot of, you know, you could say it's because she knows that she thinks that if she performs well, she's getting all the, the pressure and the concern about, I got to perform good enough to go. And she just has her worst night ever. So she gets in trouble. She gets sent to her room. Comes time for bed, and her adopted dad walks up to her room, and she gets ready to put her to sleep. And she says, uh, Dad, I guess I'm not going to Disney World now, huh? He said, well, why would you say that? She said, because of the way I acted. He said, well, that has nothing to do with it. You're a part of the family. We're taking a family trip to Disney World. So yes, get some sleep because we wake up tomorrow. We're going to Disney World. So she gets sleep. They wake up. They travel. They have the best first day at Disney World. They come back to the room. They're exhausted. She goes straight up to her room. Dad goes back into the room to put her to sleep. Walks up to her and says, how was your first day? She goes, oh, it was so much fun. He says, well, tomorrow's just going to be even better. So get some sleep. Get rested. It's going to be a full day. And he turns around to walk out of the room, and she goes, hey, Dad. Said, yes, honey. She said, I learned something today. He said, baby, what would you learn? She said, I learned that I got to come to Disney World today, not because I was good, but because I'm yours. Hear my heart this morning. You're forgiven, not because you're good, but because you're his. You've got purpose on your life, not because you're good, but because you're his. And you just need to be able to receive that this morning. Do me a favor, just close your eyes right now. Come on, let's just, let's just open our heart and open up our mind, ready to receive the goodness and the forgiveness of God. Listen to me, if you can hear my voice and you've never given your heart to Jesus, do that today. Say, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. I believe that Christ died on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven. Do that today. 
if you're saved and you can hear my voice, but you're struggling with this idea of accepting the fact that you are forgiveness, hear his heart saying, you're forgiven, son. You're forgiven, daughter. Not because you're good, not because of your behavior, not because of what you do, but because you are mine. You're mine. So with your eyes closed, here's what I want you to picture. The prodigal son says that the the prodigal son returns home to his father and he's made all kinds of mistakes and all kinds of failures. And the Bible says that as he's coming to the house, the father sees him and the father doesn't reprimand him. The father doesn't call his name, call him names. The father doesn't turn his back on him. The Bible says the father begins to run to him and he puts his arms around him. So right now, could you have a spiritual revelation in this building this morning of you coming to the father and the spirit of God is running to you, running to you, forgiving you, putting his arms around you. You are forgiven by the love of Jesus Christ. Come on, receive it in this place this morning. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Worship team, begin to let us just worship in that. Let us sit in it for a moment. Marinate in it for a second. The forgiveness of God. The forgiveness of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, lean in. Lean 